The following episode contains material that may be harmful or traumatizing to some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. It was the morning of January 6th, 2021. Around the United States, millions of people were still working from home. COVID-19 was still very much on the minds of the nation. At the time, it was the deadliest month on record for people contracting the virus. Washington, D.C. had been eerily quiet for several months, but this day felt different. Prior to that day, uh, we were at the height of COVID around that time. The Capitol was closed to visitors, and even some of the congressmen and women were voting remotely and working remotely. So we were used to, for the past few months prior to that, an easy ride into the city. There's no traffic. Everybody's working from home. However, coming into work that day on the 6th, there were a lot of people out in the streets. There were people everywhere. It was weird because you're so used to the everything being so quiet, but seeing all these people out, definitely it was noticeable. Being able to look back at it now, it was clear why they were there. Thousands of protesters representing nearly every state in the nation began to swarm the United States Capitol building as Congress was set to certify the 2020 presidential election results. Officer Harry Dunn was assigned to the east side of the Capitol, facing the Supreme Court and the Library of Congress. As the day went on, the crowds continued to swell. Hundreds turned into thousands, thousands turned into tens of thousands, and people just kept coming. What happened next would leave several dead, 140-plus injured, and lead to over 700 arrests, creating serious mental health trauma among law enforcement officers and dividing a fractured nation even further apart. Start making a list! Put all those names down! And we start hunting them down one by one! From Cast Media, this is Media Circus, an inside look at private tragedy in the public eye. I take high-profile crimes you might think you know and connect you with the real people behind the media coverage to share their stories, in their own words, on their own terms. I'm Kim Goldman. Harry Dunn grew up in Prince George County, Maryland, on the outskirts of D.C., his home just 15 minutes away from the Capitol building. From a strong family, he was the only boy among four sisters. Their parents will celebrate their 40th anniversary this Christmas. Harry attended James Madison University, where he played collegiate football. With dreams of going pro, a shoulder injury ended his career. He had to find a new dream. I've always believed in helping people, being a police officer. I like that. You know, when you grow up as a young kid, what do you want to be when you grow up, Bobby? I want to be a policeman. I want to be a fireman. You know, you have that ingrained in you as as a youth, as a kid. I felt like that was a good calling for me. Harry joined the Capitol Police in 2008. The Capitol Police is a different police organization. You know, the Capitol is a wide open complex. Some other uh, buildings, you could just throw a fence around it and keep people out. That's how the White House operates and the Pentagon and several other government facilities. But the Capitol is the people's house and the people that they elect to represent them work there. So they have to have access to them, which I believe in, I think is fair. What was about to happen that January 6th was not spontaneous, but something that had been brewing for weeks, even months before. 
it's important to understand the buildup that led to one of the most unprecedented events in our nation's history. When Joe Biden won the presidential election in November 2020, President Donald Trump rejected the results, filing lawsuits to halt vote counting, requesting recounts, challenging policies, anything he could do to, quote, stop this deal. President Trump and his followers believed Joe Biden had somehow manufactured his win and was stealing the presidency. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. Four days after the election, the Associated Press and multiple networks officially projected Joe Biden as the winner of the presidential election. But President Trump releases a statement, quote, this election is far from over. The following month, President Trump sent a message to his supporters via Twitter, tweeting about a big protest in D.C. on January 6th, ending with, quote, be there, we'll be wild. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. We love Trump! 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 Wild doesn't even begin to describe it. I am not allowed to say what's going to happen today because everyone's just going to have to watch for themselves. But it's going to happen. Something's going to happen. They're going to fucking shoot us out of our boat and put Congress fucking Biden in office. It ain't fucking happening today, buddy. I don't want to say that what we're doing is right. But if the election's being stolen, what is it going to take? Leading up to that day, had you heard of any potential rumblings, any kind of chaos brewing? I think it's safe to say that over my career, I've dealt with over a thousand First Amendment protests. It's what we call them. People come up there and they protest any and everything. Whatever's on their mind, go for it. Just do it in a peaceful manner. Going into that day, January 6th, that's kind of what I was under the impression that it it would be a First Amendment protest. A few arrests. People do participate in civil disobedience. That's their choice. But the key word there is civil. That's kind of what I thought we were getting into going into that day. What was the mood like? Peaceful. Rowdy, but peaceful. It was like an American pep rally. There were flags waving everywhere. They just randomly broke out in chants of USA. They would randomly break out into the Pledge of Allegiance and playing all the Patriot songs. It just seemed like a pep rally. But as the day went on, you could see a shift. It didn't take long for what felt like a pep rally to become something more serious. There were pipe bombs found at the RNC, the Republican National Convention or Committee Convention, and the DNC, which are literally two and three blocks away from the Capitol, respectively. And there were pipe bombs found at those locations. It was like a climax. Like if there was music playing in the background, it'd be the most dramatic music you could hear. Like think of a soundtrack where you have this dramatic climax and these pipe bombs. And then all of a sudden they started to attack the officers and breach the lines to get into the Capitol. You're watching these crowds continue to grow and grow agitated. 
It was definitely a sense of urgency. We got to get this under control. People were calling out on the radio, hey, we have a group of 50 headed towards the Capitol from the Metro. Hey, we have a group of 100. Hey, we have a group of 300 people. Everybody was headed to the Capitol. And anxiety is an understatement. Harry left his spot on the East Lawn and headed west. When I left the east side of the Capitol, there was not any fighting or attacking. They were just yelling and still screaming and chanting there, but it wasn't violent. We got heard on the radio that they had breached the Capitol. Then I just assumed that they had breached from the other side because where we were, there was no breaching. And actually, that's kind of what got me over to respond over to the West Lawn where you see that image of them on the inauguration platform. Because I heard a call on the radio, it was a, a voice that I recognized that I believed to be a friend of mine, more than just a coworker, just a, a friend. The individual was screaming, screaming into the radio, send me more units, we need some help, we need help, send the new units you got. We can't hold this, we're gonna get too many fucking people. Look at this fucking vantage point, man, we're fucked. And what I came to learn after January 6th, through the hearings and everything, was that it was about 10 officers trying to fend off hundreds of people. That's when one of the co-workers who testified in the January 6th hearings, Carolyn Edwards, recounts that she got knocked unconscious. I want to start, Officer Edwards, with a short clip that shows the horrible moment when you were injured. You were knocked unconscious. Is that right, Officer Edwards? Yes, ma'am. So I just wanted to get over there as soon as I can to help in any capacity I could. Did you feel trained to handle what was happening? My agency trains us really well. We're well equipped to handle multiple situations. And um, as well as we are trained, I can never recall having insurrection training. I don't think that's something that any police department has ever had to train for. However, throughout the day, it eventually became survival. Hey, let's make sure we make it home to our families tonight. I use the term brother's keeper, and I'm using that broadly to also include the women too. But uh, everybody was our brother's keeper that day. Hey, we're fighting for, yeah, not only doing our job, but the person next to you. He needs you, she needs you to do your job so they can go home to their families. We were there defending each other as much as we were defending this country and the congressmen and women and the senators inside that building. We were there fighting for each other, which is truly remarkable. I marvel at that often because uh, as little faith sometimes as individuals have in police, in this country, in the government, for whatever reason, it was so refreshing to know that through all of that, we had each other's backs no matter what party line or we, we didn't see it. We just, hey, let's get home to our families. I want them to help you get home. You want to help me get home. What was your personal experience and what happened to you specifically? That day I was armed with a long gun. <laughs> Funny enough, an AR-15, which seems to be, you know, the talk of guns in the country now. I was armed with one and I ran over there just to help. I got to do something. We were told to just give overwatch. And there's so much going on. You're like, what do I do? And so many people have asked the question, why is there more people shoot 
these people while they're attacking you. It's not a simple answer to why you did or did not shoot. You have to be able to justify why you did what you did. And also it needs to make sense tactically. So it's a lot of factors going into just as simple as shoot, don't shoot. I decided I'm not going to go down into the crowd and start fighting with them with this weapon because what if they take it? What if they start wrestling away from me? So let me keep distance from them and just keep an elevated position. More and more officers were getting injured and taken out of the fight as the day went on. They were officers coming out with a missing finger or bleeding from the head. Can't see because they just took a full blast of bear spray. These canisters of bear spray to the face. There were individuals there with WD-40 and Raid, Roach and Wasp Killer, and they were spraying people in the face with it. So officers are on the front line in some instances without gas masks, shields, face masks, helmets, in some instances. So as they were being taken out of the fight, I was doing the best that I could to try to decontaminate them, flush their eyes with water, wipe blood off their face so they could get back into the fight or get them um, out of the fight so they could get medical attention. So that's what I spent majority of my time doing while I responded over to the West Side. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've been on a quest most of my life to be the best version of myself I can be. Whether it's a single woman, a mom, a fiance, a professional, it doesn't matter. I'm always yearning to push myself outside of my comfort zone. But to do that, sometimes I want assistance. BetterHelp has been just what I needed. I've been a fan of therapy for as long as I can remember. It's been one of the best gifts I can give to myself. And as a bonus, the people in my life benefit too. BetterHelp is so easy. I created an account, answered a few questions, and I was matched with a therapist in just two days and had my first appointment within a week, all from the comfort of my home. BetterHelp offers therapy in a way that works for you. I have sessions by phone, but you can also use video or text, whatever feels most comfortable. It's more affordable than in-person therapy, and it fits my busy schedule. Media Circus listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash circus. That's BetterHelp.com slash circus. As Harry fought to help his fellow officers, more and more people showed up, filling up the 58.8 acres of grounds around the Capitol building. You couldn't see a patch of grass. And there was this time-lapse video that was shared. You can see the grass just disappear, just the amount of people until we were completely overran, had to retreat inside the building. Was there a point that you started to engage with people that had descended and try to push them back, negotiate with them, that you got to go? They told us that they weren't there to hurt us. They were there to support us. They were there for us. However, we were kind of like collateral damage because we were in their way of them accomplishing what they needed to accomplish. And they attacked us. They attacked us because we were fighting back to not let them in the building while we were fulfilling our mission of protecting men and women of Congress. But they did get into the building. Once the Capitol has been breached, 
I started hearing officers on the radio calling for help. They said there are rioters here, there are rioters there. This is now effectively a riot. In 49 hours, declaring it a riot. We have people trapped in this room. We have people trapped in that room. An officer is by himself in this room. We have a medical emergency here. It was just like calls everywhere, all over the Capitol. It was a logistical nightmare. I made the decision to go inside, assist inside the building, because I was familiar with a lot of the locations that they were calling out. Inside, rioters smashed windows, vandalized offices, and broke into House and Senate chambers. It was mass chaos. The crowd was out of control, and the officers tried everything they could to settle them down. Do you remember when the anger and the hostility of the crowd started to turn towards you or at you? I got tired of fighting with these people, and they're not leaving, they're not listening to my commands. I can't fight 50 people, 100 people facing me at once. So I attempted to appeal to their human side, try to just seek a conversation to negotiate, talk to people. Why are y'all here? Do y'all believe that nobody voted for Joe Biden? And I voted for him. Like literally thinking that we could have a agree to disagree moment kind of thing. One woman called me the N-word and other people echoed it. I don't believe that January 6th was a racist event. It happened because of race. I don't believe that. But I do believe a lot of people that were there were racist. And that's all I want to talk about, about the race. I don't, I think there's so much more to talk about that day, especially knowing how people are. Well, oh, you're just trying to pull the race card. And All right, let's move on. Let's talk about how they smeared their feces on the walls of the Capitol and how they just desecrated the seat of democracy. Let's talk about that then. It's interesting that you say that because I did see a lot of criticism. Racism is so American, Harry Dunn wrote a one post, that when you protest it, people think you're protesting America. Hashtag, leave it to whites to tell blacks what is racist. Hashtag. Once you decided to speak out that you were just doing it to create racial divide and, you know, there were attacks on your integrity. Do you feel like people have that conversation to move away from what actually went down that day? That's what people do. If I say the sky is blue, you're going to be like, well, well, why is the grass orange then? Like, wait, we're talking about the sky. Like, you know, people just like to deflect. And that's fine. Okay, let's move on then. Roughly 114 U.S. Capitol Police officers reported injuries due to the events of January 6th, but only a very small number have spoken publicly about what happened that day. I was effectively defenseless and gradually sustaining injury from the increasing pressure of the mob. Directly in front of me, a man seized the opportunity of my vulnerability, grabbed the front of my gas mask, and used it to beat my head against the door. He switched to pulling it off my head, the straps stretching against my skull and straining my neck. And there's been a handful of officers that have been outspoken, and so they can speak to what happened. But for those that don't, they get lost. And so I think that could potentially perpetuate this myth that it wasn't that violent, because only a couple of people, only a couple people talked about getting pummeled with a flagpole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Only a couple of people are talking about it. But if you look at the footage, there's yeah. dozens and dozens of officers getting their ass whooped on national live TV. The thing about January 6th is there were so many officers that day whose stories you won't even hear. About two months ago, I was talking with an officer 
about his experience on January 6th. And it's something that I didn't even know that happened. Like, and I was there, but I wasn't with him. I didn't experience what he experienced. But you just learned so much stuff that the world will never know. Some individuals, for whatever reason, they don't want to share. That's fine. And that's their choice. If you ask 40 people who were there on January 6th, 40 officers, to tell you what happened, you'll get 40 different stories. I think that's what you got to realize is that everybody was affected differently, but still traumatically, though. I watch it and I think it's violent. Other people watch it and think it isn't, right? I got to interrupt real quick because anybody who says that is willfully ignorant then, period. Early on when I started speaking out, that made me so mad. How can you say that? How can you say that? And then I just started realizing, you know what? You can't convince these people. So you're willfully ignorant and you're wrong, period. It wasn't peaceful. It wasn't legitimate political discourse. It may have started at that, but that's not what it turned into. And anybody that says otherwise is willfully ignorant, and that's it. And I'm not even going back and forth with those people. I'm not even going to waste my energy because somebody who's choosing to lie, that's what they're doing. And those people that choose to do that, I don't have anything to say to them. They were peaceful people. These were great people. The crowd was unbelievable. And I mentioned the word love. The love, the love in the air. I've never seen anything like it. As the day went on, the D.C. National Guard is mobilized to support local law enforcement. Congressional leaders are evacuated. And President Trump would eventually take to Twitter, tweeting that everyone should, quote, go home. I know you're pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to- Once we kind of got the upper hand, and how did we get the upper hand? More help arrived. There were more officers from other partnering agencies. We had off-duty people that just, I got to come. I got to come. They weren't even on duty. They realized that this is what you sign up for to defend your country. When you hear that defend my country, you think of the troops. Never thought we would have had to fight Americans like we did that day. And I think that's one of the things that's so disheartening. You're fighting your own countrymen. The officers fought so valiantly and bravely. I have to give a kudos to the men and women of the Metropolitan Police Department of Washington, D.C. Without them, we could not have been successful that day. I use the term successful because it's important to put into perspective what our mission is. The mission of the Capitol Police is to create a safe environment for members, Congress, senators, to do their congressional duties. And as chaotic as that day was, that none of them got hurt. And one of the things that made me most proud to be an American, I guess, that day was later that night in a trashed U.S. Capitol, still went back and certified the election. So the mission succeeded, regardless of how ugly it was. You know, you got to take something away from it, something positive. It was several hours before Harry and his fellow officers were able to even stop and process what had just happened. I was able to take a seat in the Capitol, in the rotunda, 
And that's kind of where I broke down. I was yelling. I cried. I, I yelled out, is this America? It's like, is this what our country has come to? Is this where we are as a country? And I, I just yelled that. I wasn't quiet about it in the rotunda is it finally cleared of all rioters and it was a big echo and I was sitting next to some of my uh, friends, you know, not just co-workers, some of my friends and we're hugging each other and we wanted to make sure that everybody was all right. And that's when I was able to process. Were you able to connect with your family? Everybody just standing there, just looking confused. Like what the hell just happened? So I kind of grabbed a huddled us up, a few of us. I said, hey guys, Use this moment right now while we got, dare I say, downtime. It wasn't downtime. It was, we had a moment to breathe. And I said, hey guys, use this moment to text your family and let them know you're okay. Call your mom, call your dad, call your girlfriend, your wife, your husband. Let them know that you're okay. I'm sure they're very worried about us right now. So that's what a few of us did. And um, actually one of the parents who was called because of that, she reached out to me and thanked me for that because she said her son would have never called without me telling her to. So Who did you call? The day was crazy and I didn't even remember where my phone was. So finally, when I realized it was where I was at the beginning of the day, I ran back over there to get it. I had tears in my eyes and, you know, red eyes and just angry, the angry face. And I picked up my phone. As soon as I got it, it was ringing. It was my daughter so at the time, she was like nine. She was video calling me. And I said, oh, crap. Let me get my face together. I got tears in my eyes. My eyes are bloodshot red. All the tear gas and stuff that we endured. So I was like, all right, let me get myself together. <sighs> deep breaths, deep breaths. And I took my hands and I wiped my eyes. And I didn't realize that I had pepper spray and stuff all on my face. And I rubbed it in my eyes as I was just trying to rub my eyes clean. And I rubbed it in my eyes even further. And my eyes just started burning so bad. So I was like, I didn't want to see my daughter see me cry. You know, I wanted to make sure she knows that daddy's okay. So I only made it worse. So I answered the phone and I had my eyes forced open, <laughs> like, you know, trying not to blink. Because I knew if it would blink, my eyes were not going to open anymore. And I was just, Hi, baby. Hey, daddy's okay right now. Daddy's okay. Hey, I'll talk to you. Hey, tell your mommy that I'm okay. Her mother and I were divorced at the time, but, you know, we have a cordial relationship. So I'm sure, you know, her mother was probably like, hey, call your dad. She's watching. My daughter didn't even care. She didn't know what was going on at that time. She's talking about ice cream and stuff. My girl, what? I'm busy. You know, I didn't want to say that. You know? <laughs> I was like, hey, hey, baby, daddy will call you a little later. Tell your mom that daddy's okay. And then... I hung up the phone and I just screamed, ah, my eyes. It was like, it was, it was crazy. For Harry, the day ended late that night when he was finally able to head home. In the night and the days following, do you go back to work like nothing happened? Do you debrief? <laughs> it's interesting. I left work around midnight that night. And went back to work. And I was back there at six in the morning or seven. I don't remember. The next day, the mission needed to continue. Think about it for a second. You know, I, I see your face. You're like shocked. And that's a lot of people's reaction. A lot of people ask, so how long did you take off before you went back? In a few hours. But think about it. Who else going to do it? 
you know, the job still needed to be done. And that's one of the things I'm also proud about. That everybody showed up the next day. Everybody that was able to. Brian Sicknick didn't show up because Brian Sicknick was in the hospital. And then he died the next day. Two men have now been charged with assaulting Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, who died hours after that attack. Over 144 officers, I believe was the number, that were injured, hospitalized, missed time from work. Sergeant Gunnell, who's testified with me, found out that he won't be able to return to ever put on a uniform again due to the injuries that he sustained on that day. But the physical violence we experienced was horrific and devastating. My fellow officers and I would punch, kick, shove, spray with chemical irritants, and even blinded with eye-damaging lasers by a violent mob. He's not alone. There are other officers that are still in plain clothes, you know, light-duty limitations because of what they faced that day. People quit. People retired. It had a hell of an effect on the psyche of individuals. But I'm so proud of, you know, the ones that did, and even the ones that wanted to, to come back. And the ones that didn't want to, I don't blame them for not wanting to come back. When Harry was finally able to stop and think about what he had just experienced, it hit him hard. I was in a state of depression. I even didn't want to be around people. At one point, there was periods where I would eat my lunch in my car just because I just didn't want to be around people. Everybody, I think, was feeling that way. I don't want to speak for everybody, but um, I think everybody was processing it differently. Some people are still processing it differently. Some people appear to be completely over it. Everybody deals with things differently. I think that's the takeaway from that. Everybody deals with it differently and at their own pace. From day one, I was ready to talk. And then, I mean, it, uh, even... You know, telling the story of Sergeant Gunnell, who came forward, he'll tell you that he came forward publicly because he felt horrible that I was out there fighting this fight by myself. And he said, you shouldn't be doing this by yourself, man. I got to I got to help you. Everybody does things differently. While he processed what happened in those first few days, the media covered the story 24-7. And while they all covered it, it was certainly covered differently. Trump on the tape says to his supporters who are right now conducting an armed insurrection on the U.S. Capitol, he tells them to go home. But I also want to note that in that video, he lies about the election being stolen and pours more fuel on the fire. The Capitol Police couldn't hold the Capitol perimeter on that day. That itself is a scandal. And instead of examining why that happened, they turned to blaming President Trump, who they all obviously despise. Did you feel like they were covering it accurately? Reporters were in the building that day. So they were able to, to describe what they saw, but there were no like firsthand accounts from officers or anybody that was fighting these individuals. There were no firsthand accounts of what happened at that time. I'm just getting angry. I'm mad. The day is following. I was depressed and I was angry that this happened to us. People were blaming Capitol Police because they saw a video of of law enforcement moving the barricade Mm -hmm. away. Oh, see, they were in on it. Or accusations that the FBI behind the scenes choreographed this whole thing. The government knows who they are, but the government has not charged them. Why is that? You know why. They were almost certainly working for the FBI. 
So FBI operatives were organizing the attack on the Capitol. What do you feel about all of that? What I say to that is the men and women that I fought with that day fought bravely to defend this country and defend each other. They can go on with all their conspiracy theories. And if there's proof besides just some feeling, then sure, bring it forward and we'll deal with it accordingly. Nobody, police, non-police, member of Congress, non-member, president of the United States, nobody is above accountability for what happened that day. So if there were cops there that were in on it, I think that's nonsense to even assume. But if there were, then sure, they need to be held accountable. And I don't mind saying that. But the men and women that I fought with that day, they are heroes and they need to be acknowledged as such. And any attempt to smear them as otherwise is um, a disgrace. Why did you feel compelled to speak out? And did you weigh the potential risk to you for doing that? I didn't weigh the risk until after I did it. I owe it to my upbringing. My father's retired from the Air Force 20 plus years. I played college football, so that kind of gave me the sense of working for something bigger than yourself, especially as an offensive lineman. If you're familiar with football, the line don't get any credit. It's always the running back or the quarterback, the offensive <laughs> lineman. Don't nobody know those guys' names. So i kind of used to doing work and other people getting all the credit. But I've always believed in doing what's right or what I felt is right. And speaking out, I'm six foot seven. I don't know if I owe it to my stature, but I just feel it in me to be a protector. And, yo, this is wrong. Somebody's got to do something. Well, I'm going to do it. If nobody else says it, I'm going to say something. And that's kind of how I felt about um, speaking out that day. Were you encouraged or was it frowned upon? I had to get a lawyer to um, make sure that I didn't lose my job. We don't have a policy of media. We don't do media interviews and things like that. However... This was um, tricky because there isn't many instances where police officers are the victims of a crime. We're always there investigating it. I wasn't necessarily speaking out as a member of the U.S. Capitol Police. I just happened to be one, but I, I'm a victim, as so many of my coworkers and every American that was that day that were victims. It was important. It's still important for me to um, seek that justice. Sorry, I don't mean to make this personal for you, but somebody seeking justice for something that happened to their family, a loved one. What's the difference between me wanting justice for an attack that happened to me? Obviously, you know, crimes may be different, but the notion is the same. I deserve justice. What happened was wrong, and the people that did it need to be held accountable, period. No ifs, ands, or buts. So that's why it's important for me to seek that justice. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to ask you if you saw yourself as a victim of a crime. When did you know you should differentiate the two? I, I'm a law enforcement agent, but then I, this also happened to me. I don't know if there was like an aha moment or anything like that. I just feel so strongly about doing what's right. I try to live my life as if there's always somebody watching me all the time. There's nothing that gets done behind closed doors and everything like that. I try to live my life and say everything I've said publicly, privately. I try to own everything that I've ever said. And if it's something that turns out to be disproven or, you know, I'm not above saying, you know what, I didn't know that and I'm sorry. Simple as that. 
but I just believe in doing what's right. Harry didn't just speak out in the media. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol held the first of several hearings on June 9th, 2022. Harry was one of four officers who testified in an opening session. Like, the, the... One of the scariest things about January 6th is that the people that were there, even to this day, think that they were right. You testified in the January 6th hearings. What was that experience like for you? And was there any pushback or fallout after that? Oh, there was pushback prior to that. When our names were released, the individuals who were going to testify, I started getting these messages on social media calling me a liar, a traitor, a Black Lives Matter activist, angry left-wing activist. And that was some of the rhetoric that was spewed on some of the networks that were covering it, or a network that was covering it. Dunn is an angry left-wing political activist whose social media feeds are full of praise, not coincidentally, for Nancy Pelosi. Here's a picture. That's what some of the attacks, personal attacks on my credibility, my person, Some of them escalated to the levels of threats of violence towards me. But I wasn't deterred. But it it, it happened. It's interesting that uh, later that night, we was kind of thrusted into this spotlight. You know, I I didn't ask for this. But I also, at the same time, I think it's fair to say that I didn't run away from it either. I could have shut up, not said anything, and just continued to do my job and nobody in the world would know who I am. But um, if I did shut up, not saying anything. How would that make me feel inside? I would still be seeking accountability and not doing anything about it and waiting for somebody else to do something instead of doing it myself. I'm no stranger to the attacks that can happen in the media and on social media. I've been a target for decades. But Harry, who's been subject to comments for not even two years, has a healthy outlook on the whole bizarre experience. Think about what is the objective of somebody who personally attacks you. What is their purpose? It's to minimize you and to elevate whatever they are saying, to discredit me or to intimidate me, to make me not talk. There's always some motive behind why they're doing what they're doing. So that's why it's important for you as anybody who speaks out to be focused on why you are doing it in the first place. Am I doing it for 15 minutes of fame? Am I doing it for money? Or am I doing it because it's the right thing to do? Or does accountability mean that much to me that I am willing to sacrifice my peace, my safety, my security? Am I willing to sacrifice all of that for accountability? And my answer is yes. When you talked before about being a victim um, and you talked about justice, we talk a lot about that on the show and what the definition of justice is and what are you hoping happens? Who do you want to be held accountable? That's interesting that you say that because, you know, I have been asked so many times, what do you want? What do you want? I want justice. I want accountability. And I'm like, all right, well, what is that? What what does that look like? I stuck? I don't know. I had to really answer that myself. I'm doing all this fighting and I may have had accountability already and I didn't even know it. So I had to come up with an accountability definition that worked for me. And that Webster's definition, my definition. And something that I could live with is uh, a punishment that would make sure that behavior that any said individual 
would never do it again. I don't feel bad for any of these people. I don't feel bad for them at all. And maybe that's part of the healing that I need to do. Or maybe I am. You can be healed and still not feel sympathy for somebody because a grown person made a conscious decision and now they need to live with their actions. Will it ever be enough? Probably not. This is a black stain on history and that'll never go away. Never. But until um, everybody has faced the music, so to speak, leading all the way up to the former president of the United States, we still got more to do. Is that what your hope is for the January 6th hearings, that we get to that point? Yes. Absolutely, yes. I had my thoughts and my opinions prior to these hearings about what happened. Not just the people that attacked us, but at the White House that day, uh, behind those private conversations that we're now seeing public. I had my assumptions before those came out. But now it's like, this really happened. They planned this and they need to be held accountable. Multiple capital injuries! Multiple capital injuries! When you see the footage repeated, what does that do for you emotionally and from a mental health perspective? I don't think anybody can ever get used to seeing footage of them getting their ass whooped over and over again or attacked. However, it's very important for people to seek help and talk to people about the way they're feeling. So you don't want to keep it all bottled up. And I think it's especially good that we're talking about this right now of Suicide Awareness Month, the month of September. Four officers who responded on January 6th died by suicide within seven months of the attack. If you recall, there were several officers that took their lives following January 6th. And it's important to talk about what you're feeling and why you're feeling it. Going through therapy and counseling and talking to a psychologist and a shrink, it doesn't make you immune to dealing with trials and tribulations and sadness and depression and anxiety. It doesn't make you immune to it at all. What it does is it gives you tools to deal with those when they come. Tools outside of ending your life. I think it speaks to something that you know you and I talked to you about before and what I've talked to you with law enforcement agents is that you are exposed to so much in your career without a lot of processing time mm-hmm. and training and debriefing and and there's a stigma around like you just said psychologists and doing all that work like how are you supposed to put this in perspective what works for me i believe in therapy and it helped me tremendously i have a a psychologist that i talk to regularly it helps also what helps not just a psychologist but talking about my experience that day talking to other people about it like i said earlier january 6th is never going away It's a stain on our history and it'll be there forever. We need to, I don't want to say embrace it, but say, this exists. We need to learn how to deal with it existing. Are you reminded that people got their asses kicked that day or has it shifted now that it's not about the physical violence, it's about something deeper and bigger? You know, I keep saying that. And I said that I was going to stop saying it was us getting our ass whooped. I said I was going to say, I kept seeing footage of us saving the country. You know, I feel like that's a, that sounds a little better. We're shaping the narrative while still being true to what happened that day. I'm not going to allow it to say Trump supporters stormed the Capitol. You know, I would rather say Capitol Police defended democracy. 
that day. Even just something as simple as changing the words for me, selfishly changing it for me. Do you feel betrayed? Yes. During this process at all? Yes. Betrayal is one of the most powerful feelings of emotional responses that I've ever had, feeling betrayed. And I feel like the president betrayed us and betrayed this country, the former president, just because he didn't help us. He didn't help us. There were Americans, not only Americans, but police officers being attacked. And he had the power to do something about it. And he didn't. And and I'm not trying to get political here at all. Not at all. But that's your job. Your job is to protect this country and the men and women in it. And he had the ability to, and he did not. And prior to the January 6th hearings, that was just an opinion of mine. That was just an opinion. After the hearings and people saying eyewitness accounts of what happened that day, it transformed from an opinion to a fact that that's what happened that day. So that's how I can say that with conviction the way I did. Are you afraid when you put on your uniform and you step back out there? No. Is there any part of you that has fear? Not personal fear. I fear for our country. I fear where we are. I feel how divided we are and how dangerous and inflammatory certain rhetoric and remarks have been. If you look lately, there's been an uptick in um, threats towards the FBI or even the IRS now. And that's just sad because these men and women are just doing their jobs. You know, we used to disagree on policies and now we just, we can't even come to the table to work out, you know, find some common. We can't even come to that because people aren't even welcome in the house. You can't sit down and have conversations if you're not even going to let me in the house. And that's where we are now is an us versus them mentality. And that's what I fear. I fear that that's where our country is. The fear that I have is that we won't be able to recover from that. I pray that we will. But the fear that I, I have is that we won't recover from this us versus them mentality. And meaning we're all Americans and we're all in this together. Just last month, President Biden signed into law the Public Safety Officer Support Act of 2022. It extends disability and death benefits to families of officers who suffer from PTSD or die by suicide in the line of duty. One of the widows who has attended the January 6th hearings with us fought very hard for you. Aaron Smith, her husband, Jeffrey Smith, died by suicide. And the next day, his demeanor changed and he was never the same. He didn't want to talk. He was pacing at night and during the day. Sleeplessness, the jokes stopped. The dancing around the house stopped. Also, this will provide services to men and women of law enforcement who go through traumatic experiences on the job who have PTSD to help get help and resources that they need. I think it's a big step and I appreciate what the president did and the men and women of Congress who passed it. I'm thankful for that. As for Harry's future as an officer and advocate. I'm proud to be a police officer. I'm good at what I do. But people are interested and have shown to be interested in the things that I've said. I think it's important to use my voice or platform It's a responsibility, I guess, that came with this that I didn't even ask for, but here we are. So if I can be an advocate to bring about change to something that needs change, if it aligns with me, then yeah, I'm in. What is your message? Like when you get on Twitter or when you go out into the world, what's your message? I'm not shutting up about this until there's accountability. 
period. So I have been out there telling my story to any and everybody that will listen. Even if people aren't listening, I'm, I'm going to talk about it. So I've been able to tell my story. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. And y'all were wrong, period. And all y'all got to pay. Anybody who've had anything to do with the failures of that day, I don't care who you are, needs to be held accountable. And that's been my message from day one, accountability. And Harry also has a message for those who've shown him love and support over the past 20 months. Some people say, hey, this may seem so insignificant, but just thank you. And it means a lot. It means a lot. Those insignificant words mean a lot. So It seems sort of trite to say that, but I think it has impacted us on such a profound and deep level that I, it, that's all we can say. You know, I mean, you... We're on the front lines. I can't even imagine what it's like for you to have been there and be on the receiving end of it. So I think there is a thank you. Like, we don't know what else to say. You know what? If you knew what to say, I would look at you different because this is unheard of. It ain't never happened before. You got a pre-written script for what to say to an insurrection victim? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm thankful for the, the just a random thank you message I get from somebody on social media or, you know, I can't respond to everybody. It's crazy. Um, But I, uh, if I could just say a blanket thank you to the supporters and people that may be sitting there grappling with the sadness of where we are as a country, what happened that day, just hang in there. Better days are coming. All days aren't good days. And uh, you're not the only person that feels the way you do. People say, oh, you're so well-spoken, you're articulate, you're smart, you're what? Fuck that. I am struggling every damn day with how to figure this shit out. I lay in my bed to the absolute last minute possible because I don't want to go to work. I'd rather just sit at home and just wallow in my sorrows and drink bourbon, you know. Those days are, are fewer and further in between than they were when I first started, when this first happened. So it does get better, but you have to want better for yourself. So And you got to work at it. Yes. Harry, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for your service, your voice, and your courage. Follow Harry on Twitter at Libra Dunn. To continue the conversation, please follow me on social media at Kim E. Goldman. Media Circus is a cast original podcast, executive produced and hosted by me, Kim Goldman, produced by Jackie McDougall, edited by Jordan Cantor, mixed and mastered by Anton Doty, Harper Carlton as our associate producer. Subscribe to Media Circus wherever you listen to podcasts and please share with a friend.